Join Edwin Frondozo on the Business Leadership Podcast every week for a unique program featuring insights and actionable items from the world's most successful business leaders. Hear firsthand the exclusive interviews and personal journeys on how today's transformational leaders made it to the top. Brian, welcome back to the Business Leadership Podcast for the first 100-day series. How are you doing today? I am just doing fantastic, and these episodes have been great. I can't believe the quality of the conversations that we're bringing to the podcast here. And I'm excited. Not sure if I shared with you, the audience, but I was telling Brian offline that these first 100-day questions, insights, has inspired me to maybe continue asking these things to my guests moving forward because there seems to be a lot of insight and knowledge and wisdom that many of these executives have after their first 100 days. Yeah, and just to remind our listeners about this whole concept of the first 100 days. So it was FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the president of the U.S. in the 1930s that brought this concept into its well-known, popularized form. And he just said that the president is judged by their first 100 days in office, what did they get done that will determine their legacy? And that concept has been extended out to the business world. And we know from the statistics that those first 100 days are actually so important. If you're not regarded as a success in that period, you're just not going to last. And you'll be regarded as a failure as an executive. And it means bad things for the organization too. So I'm really happy to be bringing this conversation, these insights, this study, Brian, that you're putting together to our audience to hopefully instill wisdom to those who are moving up into their first executive role. Exactly. That's the whole idea is that we have tons of best practices here. And Aaron Burry was just full of these insights. So Aaron Burry graduated from Carleton University's journalism program. And soon after that, she got involved with something called Sprouter. This was a huge community of startups in the Toronto area, and it reached out beyond that nationally. And Aaron has been able to use that experience and a long list of high-profile speaking opportunities to try her own hand at entrepreneurship in the last few years. She was hired to be the managing director of 88 Creative, and just this year, she moved on to become the CEO at Willful. Willful is a really interesting business, Edwin. Mm -hmm. It's this online estate planning tool that wants to help change the conversation that millennials have around death. It's very important. So we were able to talk to Erin about both her first 100 days at 88 Creative and at Willful. When we spoke with her, she had just joined Willful in April, right? So it had been less than 100 days as CEO when she took over from the company's founder. For me, I took a few weeks off and started to do, you know, one or two days a week at Willful before my actual start date, um, which is probably something that you can only really do with a startup because any big company, they want you in and full time on day one. I think I had a unique approach to transitioning into Willful because it was founded by my husband. I was already an investor and an advisor to the business and, you know, had heard about it for the past couple of years. So it wasn't, there wasn't as much of a ramp up period. So when you said, you know, the 10 days prior to joining, I think a lot of executives coming into a new role would probably be doing a deep dive on everything to do with the company, you know, looking at the org chart and reading through all of the press about the company. Whereas I had the luxury of not having to do any of that because 
I already knew it. I knew the journey, the founding story, the numbers, the org chart, the, you know, the challenges. And so it was it was easier, I think, for me to come in with that knowledge base about the company than maybe somebody who was net new and had never really immersed themselves in it before. You know, given that Willful was founded by her husband, yeah, <laughs> I just had to ask her, why didn't you join Willful right off the bat when Kevin first founded it? For anyone, a career change has to be right time, right place. And when Kev started the business, it just wasn't the right time, right place for me to be joining because I was still very much... Uh, loving my journey at 88. I still had a lot to learn. And so he pursued starting it on his own and pulled in his own team of people to help with that. Uh, I think he always wished that I would join full time, but it was it was his passion, not mine. And over the years, as I learned more about the space and as I started um, seeing the opportunity that existed, that passion slowly started to to trickle over to me. And I think like any executive who, I think there are two types of executives. There are the ones that are perfectly happy in their role, but they just get recruited for a much better opportunity that they can't turn down. And then the people who are looking actively for a new challenge and know that it's the time to make a move. And then they sit down and consciously think about what what criteria the next role would have to have. And I definitely fit into that category where I knew it was time to make a change. I had been thinking about it for a while. And when I started to make my list of what would the next perfect role be, and then I actually compared that to what Kev needed at Willful, there was a perfect match. So for me, I was looking for obviously something where I'd be challenged and would learn something new. I was looking for product instead of services so that I could actually focus on one thing instead of working with clients. Um, something where I it was early stage enough that I could have an impact and have a lot of autonomy um, versus going and working for a big company. Uh, and really that fit exactly what I was looking for at Willful. And so part of it was, yes, Willful's matched my criteria, but part of it was, well, if I went to another startup that looks similar to Willful but isn't Willful, I think Kev would kill me. Like he would say, how could you join another startup when you know how much help I need and you know the opportunity that exists here? And then I wondered what it was like to negotiate with the founder, who was also her spouse, about taking over that role of the CEO. This could be interesting. You can imagine having that conversation, <laughs> right? Well, here's how Aaron handled it. I said to Kev from the beginning, if I join, I'm joining as CEO for two reasons. Number one, I think I have a better business operations track record and I can do this role better than you, frankly. And secondarily, I don't want to pigeonhole myself into being the communications lead or the CMO because I feel like my passion is growing a business and operations and being an operator, not just communications and the marketing side of it. So um, he was, he said, yep. And that was kind of it. So because Erin already knew the business so well, she didn't need a ton of time to learn the company, okay. which was a big advantage. Even still, she made sure to scale up into the position because mm -hmm. before you take on that new executive role, you want to take some personal time if possible. And that's so important for your self-care, right? And your own peace of mind, because you're going to be busy once you hit the ground running at that new company. So in this startup situation, Erin was able to dabble get into the business, work a couple days here and there while taking some vacation time. Pretty smart. Yeah. And in my research, I always found that being able to talk to your predecessor was a key to a smooth start for an executive role. Mm -hmm. The more access you have to your predecessor, the better. 
So I figured with Erin, she had her spouse as her predecessor. What better situation? You have access to them pretty much 24-7, right? But there's also some tricky parts of that situation that you have to navigate through. And I hadn't really considered that situation before I talked to Erin. Let's hear what she had to say about that situation. You try to think about what the best case scenario would be out of all of those scenarios you mentioned. And you would think it's being married to your co-founder or having the person internally at the company because they're there and there's so much ability to ask them questions and all of the knowledge transfer is happening internally. But I think there's also a unique challenge, which is you have to be very cognizant that you can't shit on or criticize or lament things that were done a certain way until you joined because the person that you're criticizing is sitting right next to you. So, you know, for example, when I moved on from 88 and the person came in to replace me, she could, you know, change whatever she wanted. She could criticize anything. Obviously, she had to be cognizant of saying things to staff and making sure that they were on side. But she didn't have to worry about hurting my feelings or saying, why the hell did you do it this way? She could just take her own path. Whereas I think when I joined, there were things where I was like, why the hell did you do it this way? Or like, why hasn't it been done this way? Or why isn't there more process around this? Or hasn't this been documented? It's been this long. So I think it was it was trying to understand without judging and coming up with a um, a process or a way forward that took into account what had been done to date, but understood that there was always room for improvement. So again, Kevin is not a seasoned business operator. And so for him, a lot of it was, and just like any founder, a lot of it was trial and error and just doing things as they became necessary. I think when you're a small startup, you don't always have a ton of process. You don't always have a ton of structure. And that was certainly evident at Willful. Aaron was also the only startup executive that I interviewed. And in my research, I found that every executive forms a vision of what they want to accomplish. But that often comes later in the first 100 days, once they have a chance to talk to their peers and their staff. In the case of a startup, this is no different. Aaron still sees the mission at Willful as one that's coming into focus, but she has a pretty good idea of what it will look like. I think the vision was and still is to democratize estate planning and to create a suite of digital products that help people prepare for and deal with death in a digital age. Um, that hasn't changed. I think obviously the product roadmap has changed with my understanding of the business and the market, but really the mission has always been ensure that every Canadian adult who needs one has a will and just help people have more conversations around death, which is a very uncomfortable topic and one that everyone avoids. So, uh, you know, the mission has kind of been, um, or the vision was kind of threefold, help more people get wills, uh, make it more accessible acceptable to talk about death and build out more products that can help the people preparing for death and those that are actually dealing with the death in the family um, to wrap up someone's life. And since Willful's vision isn't fully solidified, Erin uses this really smart tactic to communicate to her staff where the company is going. I think for us, it's always been helpful to use framing uh, with other organizations as an example. So for example, with Willful, um, from the very beginning, we always looked at Simple as kind of a model for what we wanted to be as an organization. They similarly tackled a very 
traditional industry and used a beautiful brand and education and a focus on digital natives to make a, a traditional process much easier. Uh, and so when we were, when Kev was developing the company, we called it Will Simple until we came up with the willful name. And so I think my, my response or my communication in the early days was always, listen, I don't know exactly what that finish line is going to look like, but I know that we'll always have that mission of helping to make the process of dealing with death easier and making it a less traditional and more digital process. I don't know exactly what that's going to entail, but I know just like Wealthsimple started with a focus on investing and then moved into RESPs and high interest savings accounts and tools for advisors. They didn't know day one what their roadmap was going to look like. They just knew that they had a mission of simplifying finances for the average Canadian. We similarly have a mission of simplifying estate planning for the average Canadian using technology. And so I'm confident that while we might not have the answer to what exactly Willful will look like in three to five years, we're going to figure that out along the way. And just like Wealthsimple branched out into all of these other things, we'll likely do the same and the path will become clear as we go. When Aaron joined 88 Creative, the agency that she was at before Willful, the situation was totally different. It was a business unit that was spun out of a software company. The founders of that company were no longer involved in the agency's operations. Aaron comes in, she replaces the previous leader who had moved back to Ireland, and she really wasn't easy to contact at this point being across the pond. So Aaron got the job because she sold the team on her vision for repositioning the agency as one that would focus on catering to startups. So in this case, she had to communicate exactly what she wanted to accomplish. To be honest, there weren't a lot of agencies that were like us that were targeting or that were the vision of what I wanted to be. Um, I think the, the what I used in that case was the startup industry and the tech industry and the the gap that existed. So, um, you know, I would say like I've worked in startups, I've reported on them for years when I was running beta kit. And I know that the challenge that they often face with agencies and service providers is either the agencies are too big and they're too expensive or they don't understand and speak the language of the startups that they're working with. And I think there's a real opportunity to be that service provider. And I also think it's more fun to get to work with early stage startups than working with some of the traditional companies. And so to, in that case, it was more about painting a picture of what we could be versus framing against something else that already existed. Erin took a totally different approach to assessing her staff at Woolful than she took at ADA Creative. When she joined 88, there was a team in place already. She knew one person from working with him previously, but otherwise she had to get to know everybody else. Like you might expect from somebody with training in journalism, she prepared a set of questions that she asked everybody. There was this existing team already there, one of whom I knew because I had worked with her previously, but everyone else is a stranger. And so there was that process of, I came up with a list of interview questions. You know, what do you like about your current role? What do you wish you had more exposure to? What are the biggest challenges? What do you think we're great at? What do you think we're not great at? What's the one biggest change you would make if you had the power to make a change in the organization? And then I went out with everybody and asked them that list of questions and and documented that. Um, And I think that was really helpful because I really got to know um, I really got to know everybody's strengths and weaknesses, where they perceive the organization's strengths and weaknesses, and also, um, you know, what they would change if they could. So I think that 
was really helpful at 88 and at Willful. But then when she met the team at Willful, not only was there the internal staff to meet, but also the contractors to consider. These were people they were relying on to do a lot of the back office work. It wasn't until I officially started. I think it was um, like early April that I started for full time. And that was when, yeah, I got introduced to every single service provider and started, you know, doing a meeting with the external CFO, meeting with the accountant, um, meeting with all of our external marketing vendors and really just getting a sense of where are we with each of them. And that's an interesting process as well, because there were some vendors that I just looked at and said, well, these guys aren't doing a good job of this. Like everything's a mess and why are we paying them to do this? So that's probably another part of the first 90 days as well is taking stock of not only your internal staff and their strengths and weaknesses and where they need to grow and what they're currently handling and where the gaps are, but also any external vendor or consultant and taking stock of, you know, what are we paying them? What's the scope of work that they're handling? Are they delivering on that promise? What have been the issues with them? Should we be giving them more or less work or replacing them or augmenting them with an internal hire? So Edwin, this hits upon a critical task that most executives will have to undergo when they start a new role, especially if you're a startup executive or maybe in charge of a specific department. What you need to do is create a list of all of your vendors and understand how much of your budget you're spending on them. There's really no magic to getting this done. It's just information you have to collect. Often you go to the finance department and go through the invoices, getting all of the information. It's a really good idea to also categorize this list based on your organization's capabilities. That's a process that Aaron has now been through on both sides of the coin. When I was running an agency, that was one of the things we dreaded with clients was executive change because inevitably, as soon as a new executive comes in, whether it's a CMO, head of comms, CEO, the first thing they do is do a review of all their vendors. And often, even if you're doing a good job, they want to feel like they've made their mark on the organization. And so there's a lot of vendor turnover, even if you're not, you know, messing up. Um, so I think at Willful, we were lucky in that we we had a small suite of vendors um, and we didn't have a ton of ironclad contracts. So often that's the situation you come into is you're at halfway through a year-long ironclad contract for some service or another. Um, we had always at Willful or Kevin had always uh, punctuated his internal team with consultants and kind of individual freelancers. So we had um, a fractional CFO that was helping with things like building a financial forecast. We had a bookkeeper who was doing, you know, payroll and all of the day-to-day -day financial stuff. Uh, we had a, uh, someone who was handling Google AdWords and some paid digital and then an, a firm that was handling the Facebook and Instagram ads. Um, so I think some of those vendors I had actually helped select because, again, Kev would say, I need help with X. And I'd say, oh, you should just use the person we're using at 88. They're really great. So in some cases, I didn't really have to do much of a review of them because I knew that they were good because I had worked with them before. But I had to go through that deep dive of, okay, what's the scope of what you're handling? So I think it's a few things. It's determining the existing scope of what they're handling. It's assessing whether that scope needs to be expanded or retracted, and it's assessing whether ev the quality of that scope had been where you needed it to be in the past. And part of that is talking to the existing team at Willful, and part of it is getting a perspective from the vendor. 
okay, well, I noticed this didn't seem to have gotten done. Is that because we dropped the ball or is it because you dropped the ball? And a lot of cases, to be honest, it was, well, that your team didn't provide me with the things that I needed because they were so small and they were overloaded that a lot of times they only could do what they were equipped to do. And now that Aaron's been through this a couple of times and has seen so many other executives come into other companies, she's well aware of how big a change this is for an organization. She has some great advice about how to approach the job, keeping in mind the changes that others at the same company are experiencing. I think when a new executive starts, there's a lot of fear, whether it's like me and you know the team or whether you don't know anybody at the company, there's a lot of fear that comes with a new executive coming on board. Am I going to get fired? Is my job going to change? Is the company going to change? Is it going to be a place that I still enjoy? And I think the most important thing you can do as a new executive is on day one say, I'm not coming in to change everything. I'm coming in to listen to you, to hear what you like, what you don't like, and what your vision is for the company, and then to combine that with the opportunities that I see for the company. Coming in and saying, here's my vision and I'm going to execute it is a big mistake because you really need to listen to the people that are already there to get them on your side and to learn from the things that they've seen every day. You can't possibly know all of the opportunities that exist. They are the ones who who have seen it every day for the past year and same with the challenges. So my advice would be don't come in like a dictator telling them what you're going to do work with them to understand what they want to do and then fit that with your vision and present it as something that you all came up with together so that they're on your side and so you cut down on turnover uh, with the existing staff. And finally, I just have to thank Erin for this great metaphor she provided. Since I'm designing a service for new executives, I asked her what she wished she had during her onboarding time. And here's what she told me. I got married last year to my co-founder, as you know. And when you get married, there's all of these blogs and magazines and books that give you countdown checklists. So for example, 90 days before the wedding, send out invites. 60 days before, do this. 30 days, do this. And on the day of, do this. And I think something like that for executive transitions would have been really helpful to me because, again, I didn't read any books about transition. I didn't really even read any blog posts. I just kind of did it by gut feeling. And I wish that I had had a checklist or a toolkit that said, okay, two weeks before you join, do this. The day you start, have a team lunch and make sure that you cover these 10 things. Week one, do do interviews with customers. Week two, do staff interviews. And, you know, really just kind of laid out a blueprint based on, Number one, what successful executives have done in the past. And number two, the stage of growth that we were at. I just thought that was such a perfect way to put it. And really, that's what I'm building at Infotech. It's a checklist of what has to be done based on what phase you're at in the first 100 days. And Edwin, when you complete it, you're ready to get married to your job. I love that, Brian. Such amazing insight from Aaron. And I love the way that she was able to bring a lot of her expertise, her knowledge from 88 Creative, working with startup executives, startup founders, and her keen understanding of what they go through when they bring someone in, and also being a contractor or being on the vendors list and how that affected her and that understanding and that leadership understanding coming into Willful. It's such amazing insight and really grateful to hear the executive in a startup taking over recently. 
But this this has been fun, Brian. I'm super excited in terms of this series. I can't believe that we have two more episodes left, and I'm excited to share those as they roll out. Brian, can you tell us where we could find more information about this program, about the research, and, and maybe some special insights that you'd like to share? Absolutely, Edwin. Everyone should go to infotech.com slash first 100. That's first, all lowercase, 100, the number 100. And that's where you'll find all of the resources and information that Infotech has to offer around getting started in your role, your new role, that first 100 days and how to spend it. That's great, Brian. I'll be sure to list all these resources, this link to your research directly on this episode website. I'm super excited to be sharing next week's episode. A quick sneak peek. It's Eric Wright, the CEO of LexisNexis Canada. Really excited to share that insights and knowledge that we got from him. But until next time, Brian, I'll see you then. See you next time, Edwin. Thank you for listening to the Business Leadership Podcast at thebusinessleadership.com. Help me.